Hello everybody and welcome back to Bring Your Own Blockbuster, episode 4, Silence of the Lambs. I'm joined as ever by my fellow appreciator of cinema, Ben Haynes. How are you doing, mate? Hey buddy, how are you? How are you getting <laughs> I'm on? Good. I am, I, I'm good, I'm good. A few episodes in, I think like we're, we're, we're getting the hang of this, right? You yeah, it's, it's like someone's applied WD-40 to us and we're just now really, really well oiled. So That's all the it. parts are moving very nicely. It's quite, as somebody that's done a lot of podcasting and just general professional stuff about football and sports, it's quite nice to actually be talking about something that just I love in general that doesn't oh, cause mate, no, me, me pain constantly. I mean, cinema can cause you pain in certain ways, right? But it's a very different pain to, to, to that that sport, in particular, Tottenham Hotspur as a football club cause an individual you know yeah i wonder whether um i wonder whether that is sort of why we why we can't stop it with sport because mm. you have no control over it because when i come out of the cinema if i've if i've been moved by a film to the point of like anger or just <laughs> hysterical laughter or whatever either way i'm happy do you know what i mean whatever ha- so long as the films move me in some way i'm good I don't have that same thing with sport. I have a question then. Here, here we go. What was the last film, or can you remember a film that you actively disliked? Oh, not, I've not, got not, one. The, oh, I've the, got one ready for you. Okay, all right, go on. Here we go. Straight we go. away, um, and I'm I'm glad you asked that. Actually, it's almost as if by magic, like that. That wasn't planned at all. Um, I what I think I think I watched a film this weekend called mm. Spiderhead. <laughs> okay, sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's shit. It's just stressful. It's it's absolutely awful. And I watch. Do you know what? I had a, a, sort of two different experiences this weekend because I went to cinema to watch John Wick Four. Oh, and, I, I, I'm very up for that. But yeah, carry and, on with Spiderhead. Well, like, I, and and so I'd done that on the Friday, and because of the amount of sort of film watch I'm doing for the pod, just in general, it's just I, it's becoming easier and easier to just throw a film on. Mm. And you oh yeah, I'd, I'd have a bit of that. <clears throat> and there's this film on Netflix that came up, um, and it was Miles Teller and Chris Hemsworth, and it was like a kind of very, I want to say almost sort of dystopian, kind of futuristic study. I've, I've seen this. I, I know exactly what you mean. Garbage, isn't it? Garbage. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's <laughs> that's how forgettable tripe. it was. Total Awful. tripe. What a and cast, I... and what a waste of a good concept and good cast, right? Well, literally, because they, and I feel conned. Like I'm actually angry about this because on Netflix, I sort of for a long for the longest time, I have kind of always had a bit of an asterisk by Netflix own productions. You know, I've always mm, been there, mm. and then I thought, well, no, come on, because there's been there's been a lot now that have been really quite good and the, the series are quite good the movie I'm can't, I struggle to think of like a really good film though well there was the there was the film that that won an Oscar wasn't there that they did a very very limited release and I can't believe the name of the film has escaped me um they did a very limited release in the cinemas so that they could enter so it could be nominated for an Oscar and then it won an Oscar and I'm sure Purdy will like shoot us, producer Purdy will shoot us a note and tell me where I'm being an absolute muggins and completely forgotten the name of it. Um, but uh, but because of because of that, I thought, oh, well, maybe it's been good. And, and and it almost had. I think it had in the blurb. Oh, Chris Hemsworth's like brilliant performance. Blah blah blah. And I was like, oh, okay, well let's let's give it a go. 
And as the film was going on, I was like, maybe it'll get good in a bit. Maybe it'll get good in a bit. And it's got Miles Teller in, for God's sake. And we'd just done Whiplash the other week. So I was like, well, I've got to give it a go. Because mm. it's got Miles Teller in. And I actually, at the end of it, I felt a bit like insulted because it was so bad <laughs> that I'd given the time to it. And it was that bad. It's, it it's funny because one of mine is a Netflix film as well. Mm. Um, it's and it's got it's got Jesse Buckley in it, who I think is a, is a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic actor. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it's called I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and okay. it's hor- It's just it's a horrible film. It's written and directed by Name Escapes Me, the same writer director responsible for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a oh, film I very much gosh. like, but. This film, I'm thinking of ending things, was just a miserable, mean-spirited, endlessly bleak, just a horrible Charlie film. Charlie Kaufman. Uh, uh, yeah, a, a horrible film, mate. A horrible film. One of those that I, that I really felt like, basically, this filmmaker has taken my money and proceeded <laughs> to kick me in the bollocks for two hours and then said, get out the cinema. Can we and like can we, push me out, you know? Can we do that's, this that's as a feature? It. Can we do this? Can we? Can we? Can we? Can we add this in? Because this obviously this won't go in the YouTube side of the show. This will go yeah, for the yeah. for the for the wafflers on the podcast. So can we do this as a as a, like a film so bad you feel personally insulted? I quite like that. Yeah, I, I quite like the sounds of that. Because I because I I'll, I'll chuck into this as well. Geostorm oh, went to see that at the yeah, cinema just... and. And I'd actually done an interview. Do you remember I was doing interviews for a little while? I was doing interviews like junkets. Yeah. And I did an interview with Gerard Butler. And I and I sort of I'd I'd seen the film in the morning yeah. and I felt almost a bit of an arsehole asking him fairly genuinely, like, why why should people go and see the film? So I'd been <laughs> I sort of realised as I said it out loud, it almost sounded a bit pointed, like, why on earth should people go and see this film? So and he gave this really earnest, lovely answer. But in, in the back of my mind, I was like, no one should go and see this film. <laughs> it's really bad. It, it's one of those films, isn't it? Right. That you can imagine everybody, including Gerald Butler, who were, who were working on that, were like, fuck me. You know, is this what we're putting out? Really? Mate, as long that, as it pays the bills, 100%. but still, you know. Yeah, but it's so interesting you say that because I, I, I watched recently an, uh, uh, a... Um, a, a discussion between Colin Farrell and Hugh Grant. I don't know if this popped up on your feed. Do you see this? No, no. It's like one of those. It, it, it's almost like actors on actors. I think it might be Variety, maybe. Really? Did it? But it, it was them talking about how they take roles on. Like, what are the? How do they decide? And Colin Farrell, basically, I think Hugh Grant says that basically actors are in danger of disappearing up their own ass sometimes because they think they're so deep and blah, blah, blah. And and they end up having this discussion about have you ever taken a job just to take the job? And I mean, they both are like, yeah, absolutely. And I've done things that I'm horrendous, like just so not proud of, but made so much <laughs> money from because they just are like, well, I've got ki- I've got kids, so I've got to do this. And it's quite interesting just hearing that, hearing that conversation from two people who I'd re- I really admire both of them because I mean, we're both big fans of Banshees of Sharon, and I think Hugh Grant being, being sort of clumsily sort of buffoon charming thing just for me it absolutely does it for me i think i think it's brilliant so hearing them be like oh yeah i just phone it in and take the cash is a bit like no don't say that but we all do to a degree don't we we all do i mean there's levels (laughs) to this game but still you know 
you know. 100%. So we've we've spoken about films that we don't like. We have found out that you went to watch John Wick 4 this week. Just just quickly, good, lived up to the hype. Because I, I love the other three. I think Do it's you? good fun. Yeah, that, I think it's... That, a good laugh. You okay, know? so what, this is really interesting to me. Why do you love the other three? Mindless, but it's 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 <laughs> it's it's well made mindless action. If if you yes. get what I mean, that's yes. that's what I like about it. It's not. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but they make a film that is great within the constraints of that. It's also, in my opinion, is a bit of a throwback to the kind of nineties, noughties action movies where there's no overly complex plotting it's just bang this is what it is like the first one you know they killed his dog he didn't like that rampage (laughs) ensues and and it's just it's gone on from there yeah 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 yeah, totally well i mean that and that that is that is it in a nutshell for me because i think i actually came away from the cinema and i know this is something that producer purdy has talked about before to us but the film got better in my mind, the 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 the, the further um, the more time that separated me from having seen the film, if that makes really? sense. Okay. Yeah, because at the time I was kind of, I don't know why I was thinking on some level there might be some kind of story, and then once <laughs> <laughs> once I got to a point where I was just like, no, 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 you you're missing the point. Then I was like. Oh, it's actually really good. Like, it's actually if, if if story doesn't really matter that much, then it's kind of like really. It just does exactly what you you want it to do. And and you're like you said, mindless. It's just sort of perfectly mindless. And there is a, one really good setup at the Sacre Coeur. At, I don't know if you say the Sacre Coeur or just Sacre Coeur, but um, I think it's the, le, le Sacre Coeur. <laughs> thanks for keeping me honest. Um, <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I there's this. this there which it it did actually it tickled me a lot and i think so long as you're making a mindless film where you can be self-aware and 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 have a chuckle at the same time then it's 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 great have you been to cinema this week i have mate and i I was gonna say even if even if it wasn't my turn to answer this week i was gonna have to just chuck in I've seen, uh, I watched a film called Pearl in oh, the cinema this week. That was the option. It was Pearl or John Wick. Okay, so Pearl, it's a it's a prequel to a, to, to a Thai West film that came out a few years ago called X, which was a kind of 70s style Texas Chainsaw Massacre homage right. of a group of like young people making a porno in this old barn house in the middle of kind of where right. Texas or somewhere like that. And horror ensues. A perfectly good film. X was fine. You know, it was okay. It was kind of a bit of a self-aware slasher type movie. Fine. It was. It was all right. Pearl, a prequel to that. Um, I I, I actually went to watch it. I, I was interested in watching it, but I actually went to watch it because it was a subtitle show. My younger sister's actually deaf. She barely ever gets to go to the cinema because there's hardly ever. Any subtitle showings anywhere, you can you can look for that. And that's something I'll probably rant about another day. But we saw that there was a there was a showing on um, of this Pearl film. She likes horror movies as well. So I was like, hey, Leo, come on. Let's go, let's go and watch that. It's subtitled. So it'll be a good laugh. I was absolutely blown away, mate. I was absolutely... Oh, so it was... Good. Honestly, it, it was such a surprise to me. And I, I, I don't really want to big it up to anybody that maybe would have watched it from the same position as me and been pleasantly surprised. But it was it was 
it was just so well done. It was you. You don't have to have seen the movie X at all. It's a prequel right. in the loosest possible sense. It's essentially they've plucked one of the characters. Fair enough, a very central character from X, but done her origin story, if you like. But you don't have to have seen X to appreciate this origin story whatsoever. There's some little nods and whatever to the to the other movie, but it doesn't ruin it for you. I have to say in particular, the performance of Mia Goth, who plays Pearl, is absolutely mind-blowing. It's it's some of the best acting, honestly, I've ever seen. And oh, I, I no. really don't want to overstate this. And like I say, it, it, it came out of nowhere for me. So maybe that adds to this, but yeah. it, it was mind-blowing. It was so good. And there's there's a couple of scenes in particular in the film that you'll... I will call one of them, so this is spoiler free, I'll call one of them the confession scene, which is just so affecting and brilliantly acted, brilliantly written, and from a from a filmmaking perspective, technically spot on, superb. It's I would recommend it to anybody to go and watch it because you don't have to be a big horror film. It's not really even a horror movie. It's a bit of a thriller. It gets quite gory in places, but it's more about people's ambition, very similar to what we were talking about with Whiplash. It's kind of like a, it's like a Whiplash dialed up to eleven. You know, it's oh, nice. it's it's the relentless pursuit of glory and the lengths people will go to for that, and the the polluting effect it has on their minds. It's a brilliant film, mate. Honestly, D- um, did your did you say it was your younger sister that you went with? Yeah, yeah. And did she enjoy it? How did the subtitles hold up? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's loved amazing. Loved it. Absolutely that's loved so it. lovely. And I think because she had no idea, she was just like, okay, subtitled. For, oh, she likes going to the cinema, but can barely ever go. Like, was like, okay, subtitled, horror, I'm in, cool. And everybody left like, wow, that was great. Oh, you that know? is so, so lovely. And that's such a nice, <clears throat> it's such a nice thing to be able to share that experience and both find the film. Yeah. Both like really get a lot of joy from the film. That's such a, uh, I'm, I, I, do you know what? That's another one of those things. I, I, I'd never thought enough. I clearly haven't thought enough about that. We should definitely do that on another episode, shouldn't we? Kind of get a bit stuck into the idea of like cinema for people that maybe either yeah. partially sighted, those like hard of hearing, things like that. So, um, no, that, oh, that's awesome, mate. And it, it just is, it, I, I was so torn because I really wanted to go to Pearl, but it was the only way I could convince my missus to go to the cinema because she wasn't ready to kind of, she didn't want to sit there and do a, a, a big thinking film as such yeah. so i was like okay john wick four that's it. it yeah john wick will do it <laughs> that'll, john wick get, will do it. that'll get us out of the house <laughs> that'll do and um yeah and i sat there with i did <clears throat> had a little flashback to uh our episode the other week where we we're talking about the whale and i sat there with popcorn <laughs> popcorn on one side and pick and mix on the other just oh thinking, yeah what am i doing but oh, yeah. saturday night in it you've got it yeah, um mate, saturday just, night of the movies <laughs> I had about a four pint pitcher of Fanta as well. Just come out there completely jacked. Like that, you know, that that meme of that little girl that's at the baseball with blue food colouring all over her face. That was was me. Um, Just before we move on to the film, we should just say um, a a massive thank you to people that have that have watched, listened, tweeted, subscribed, subscribed their works like it's so this is I, I I don't know I'm sure it is the same for you mate but like you said at the top it's such a lovely break in the kind of standard stuff that that we do in sport 
to yeah. do something that you just love and to to get people actually give it a watch and give it a listen it's really really special and i i wasn't expecting to when we when we re- started releasing the the pod i wasn't expecting to f- i was kind of hoping that i'd get that nice giddy excitement but i wasn't expecting it to be so kind of um I guess visceral sounds like quite a big word, but it was just very kind of like, <laughs> I know oh, what you wow, mean. made that yeah. and put it out and, and people have actually given it a go. So that's really lovely. So thank you. People have given it a, given it a go. Um, I mean, look, Ben's been very nice about it. I, I think you should be, you know, really welcome that we're making this content for you. Cause it's, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be bad cop in this one. Mate. Yeah. Um, so get on so, and subscribe if you haven't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like and subscribe, leave ratings, reviews, all that, but we'll do all this again at the end. Moving on, mate, right? You chose for us this week Silence of the Lambs. I'm going to I'm just going to jump in straight away and say, "Why? Why did you take us there, Ben?" Okay, so um three things on this. I I've th- Do you know what? It's becoming a bigger and bigger part of the the podcast for me. I don't know if you're finding that, but the pressure that I feel to get it yeah. right now is enormous. So I thought about it a lot. Um, firstly, I wanted to pick a film with a, a, a strong female lead character or at least a strong female character that was central to the storyline and the, the kind of story arc. So big tick for me on that one. I thought we haven't had anything yet that was really scary or anything that was kind of like genuinely sort of frightening, you know, um, and and this for me, the the character of Hannibal Lecter is is so scary, which I'm, we're getting to at great length, I'm sure, in a bit. Um, and and I also really loved the idea that you could have a character like Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter in the film, that can be neither a, neither a, a hero or a villain. You know, that that he's occupying this weird middle ground and just those long sections of dialogue between um b- between uh Clary Stalin and, and Hannibal Lecter just it, for me, just even thinking about putting that film up, I was like, Yeah, this is it for this week. I can't wait. Um so yeah, I, w- I was I was very happy with the choice. Um <clears throat> and I guess seeing as it was my film it's your turn to try and spoil it in 60 seconds. We, we, so not four we, minutes this time. Eh? Yeah, we are just, <laughs> we're just, just really struggling with this bit, but I'm I'm intrigued to see how you get on, mate. Obnoxious buzzer, remember, mate. You've got to stop me. Cut me off, all right? Yeah, I'll see if I can play a buzzer out loud somewhere. Oh, I haven't okay. got one. I'll just do Limbering it with mine. Limbering just... up for the folks on YouTube. They can see me. Limbering up for this. For beep, the... beep, beep, beep. So Silence of the Lambs follows FBI trainee Clarice Starling as she is tasked with helping to find and bring down notorious serial killer Buffalo Bill. In order to do this, she enlists the help of, well, she's pushed to enlist the help of Hannibal Lecter, who is a mastermind genius psychologist who also happens to be himself a serial killer and cannibal hannibal the cannibal the two of them work together in this game of kind of chess where they're both trying to get something from one another to ultimately bring down buffalo bill um clarice starling isn't listened to by anybody else at the fbi but she follows her gut she follows her instinct and she manages to play the game perfectly and brings down buffalo bill with the sort of begrudging help of hannibal lecter who himself has been using Clarice Starling to get his own end of the bargain. 
Oh my that god! Did you? Works. Did that work? Mate, did that, work? that was on. But that's the best one we've had so far. That's a ten out of ten. Okay. That was world class. I mean, you literally. We can all go home. I mean, I'm at home, but we can all just finish up there. We can just call it. Pods over. Pods over. Thin. Um, the uh, the the bit that stood out for me in your analysis there, Mm. which I loved, was it's kind of like a game of chess. Big time, though, isn't it? Because it just it it sort of I know exactly what you mean by that. But do you want to say what you mean by it's kind of like a game of chess? Well, it's the fact that everybody involved within this kind of world is almost at a whim of Starling or of Hannibal Lecter. And the two of them really are playing off against one another constantly. Um, And they're having to be exceptionally strategic not to show their hand too quickly to either. It's just it's it's so finely poised throughout the entire film as to who is, like I say, going to show their hand first out of the two of them. And you can see those like brilliant moments when one of them will break down the other one's walls. Oh, brilliant. Do you know so what I mean? True. Like, so I, 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 I really, really, it's just, yeah, there's something about there. Can I, can I throw one thing to you, Ben? I'll, I'll yeah, give you, go, go, I'll go, give go, you a thought sure. starter. So during lockdown, two of my good friends, Simon and Keith, if you are listening, hello, lads. Um, they, they did their own little, uh, film podcast during lockdown um and they actually invited me onto that onto one of the episodes oh, nice. to to talk about this very film um, no way oh amazing silence of the lambs and i made the case to them that silence of the lambs was almost really like a really dark buddy cop movie oh my god that's a really interesting way to put it cuz it kind of it because it, basically you have got the You've got that kind of classic good cop, bad cop, mm-hmm. one that's kind of like the the kind of disgruntled, haunted individual, one the up and comer who's trying to make their way, that kind of vibe. God, it is a really interesting take on it. I kind of see that, yeah. And I think at the same time as well, the the idea of the the idea of all the pieces kind of of the of the chessboard being in their gravitational pull towards the two of them as well. It's just such a it's such a good image because you kind of almost get that you get that image as she's walking for that very first encounter and she's walking down the corridor and you've got the different cells <clears throat> and it's almost like the different characters that she goes past have got their different characteristics getting progressively more sort of crazy I guess or or or, or psychotic or or just mad as she, as she goes down that it almost feels like she is going along the squares of a chessboard and mm. is getting more and more impactful as she as she goes down. <clears throat> so why did you have it down as a as a buddy cop film when you when you um whose podcast was it, sorry? My two mates Simon and Simon and Keith. It was a podcast called Buddy give Folly. A, give that a listen. Um the, the, I, I, it was just it was essentially because like i say it met a lot of the same conventions like you were talking about there there, there was this kind of finely balanced kind of partnership this the odd couple you know that yeah. shouldn't work but it does because ultimately they 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 win right you know it's uh it's 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 pretty mad um i mean what it, it, let's what is it about this film like particularly that that stands out for you when did you last watch it um what did you did you have a different reaction to watching it this time through a more sort of analytical eye at all? Yes, yeah, I did. Um, 
last watched it probably it's been a while it's been a few years it's, it's a good few years since i've last watched it <clears throat> because do you remember when we were talking about mrs doubtfire mm. and i think you said something like well i've watched this film maybe 10 times or 15 times i don't know that you would what what would move someone to go on a saturday night you know what let's watch silence of the lambs you know, it, it's just not, it's not like a John Wick 4, is it? It's not like you're going, well, let, let's just throw Silence of the Lambs on, you know. So it would have to be, I don't know if you remember, this is kind of like another, um, this is such a, I'm going to age myself horrendously here. But do you remember maybe 15 years ago, possibly a bit more, maybe, maybe nearly 20 years ago, Channel 5 would often put on a film at about nine o'clock, or, yeah. or or 10 p.m. and you'd go am i gonna start this now you know am i gonna <clears throat> or channel forward occasionally do it and it might even be a weekday and you'd be like am i gonna get into this now and do two hours of this and then probably be tired for school in the morning or whatever and 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 you realize that you've been watching the film and there's been two episodes of family guy and two episodes of american dad have both played out so it's definitely getting to that point where you should have gone to bed. This was one of those <laughs> films for me. It was like, I, I, I sort of, like, you'd start it so you'd finish it, and then you'd be kind of a bit scared of the fact you finished it because it's midnight, it's pitch black everywhere, and you're a bit like, oh, get me, get me up to my room as quickly as possible because I'm absolutely petrified now. But that was part of the reason why I chose it, because I think it's rare to find films that are genuinely scary, you know? Mm. Uh, someone made a great comment on a YouTube video that I watched about the film and it said, you know a film is scary when it frightens you and there's not a single jump scare in the whole thing? Yeah, I, I, I read something um, when I was just sort of reading some articles and stuff about the movie. Other people had done their sort of watches a few years later on. And one one writer was saying she remembers her, her mother talking to her about having watched the film in the cinema and the whole cinema kind of shrieking and being aghast at the, the final scene, the, the night vision scene, because oh. they were all sat there in the dark watching yeah. this movie play out where you were, you almost felt like you were there in the room, you know, yeah. and you can, when his hand is like reaching out to touch her and oh. it, it's such a lasting oh. image like Charlotte, because when we watched it back, Charlotte was saying, this is, this is the image that is like burnt into my head with this film is the idea of just being in the dark like that. And, him kind of creeping around and it's when well, she's so good the, the fact that she, the fact that even through night vision goggles she's able to sort of portray that idea of just total fear mm. you know but also the kind of like i'm gonna do this anyway even though i'm petrified it's kind of like it's amazing how much she's able to <clears throat> able to give off but i mean i think that sequence but also the sequences between her and and hannibal lecter the, the whole thing, you, you find yourself, your body's like fairly tensed up for yeah. a lot of it. Cause you're just, like you said, you kind of feel like you're in between this game of chess. And I think a lot of that is down to the way that he's shot, right? Because he's consistently looking down the lens. So you're seeing it from her point of view and, and you can't take your eyes off of, off of anything because you feel like you shouldn't. Do you know what I mean? Well, especially in those, you know, those early scenes when it's just a conversation between the two of them, the shots are consistently very close, tight shots on both of their faces, swapping between the two. And it does create that kind of, that claustrophobic effect, but it also shows you just how enraptured they are by one another. 
that they are just completely engulfed by one another and this situation that they have found themselves in um it's 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 just it's it's, it's those like those early scenes those early conversation scenes are masterful you know they're yeah. so well done um i mean this is something we'll 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 likely move on to but there's especially a, 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 I find there's a there's a particularly kind of disarming moment at, at the very beginning in the very first time they meet and if you remember she walks past like you were talking about she walks past the kind of rogues gallery of all the different inmates <laughs> until she gets to Miggs you know the particularly unpleasant guy who the first thing he says to her is I can smell your cunt you know as she walks past the cell and Hannibal Lecter he demands to know exactly what it is that he said to him and as soon as she says what it is that he said, he just straight up tells her, I myself cannot. Uh-huh. And in in a way, it's kind of like I think he can he's he's saying that in a in a very kind of matter of fact way. But if you also I also kind of read that as in that's him like laying down the ground rules of like, I don't see you that way. I am not a normal man I, I like I'm not saying it's a normal man's <laughs> reaction <laughs> to speak that way to him but what I'm saying is is like I am not uh I'm not your run-of-the-mill sort of like, I, well I'm like, I'm not a barbarian um yeah. also I'm kind of almost above these human yes yeah, concerns yeah. of sex and whatever do you know what I mean his 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 idea is consumption it's power by consumption he wants to literally engulf people to take them in you know he's 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 a cannibal um and he he, he's just he's laying that out straight away for her as in like our relationship is not going to be like that so yeah but mate that that, this is really interesting right can i and i feel like i'm skipping miles ahead so tell me if you want to park this up goes all over the place mate come on (laughs) um so when she's on the way to that to to that walk that horrible character Chilton is it the Dr Chilton yeah despicable yeah like vile just the way he's smart by the way what a performance because you hate yeah, him yeah. you yeah. you managed to hate him more than a serial killer and a guy who's a cannibal and you're like this guy's <laughs> the villain do you know what I mean this guy's a villain he's actually just a dude that's locking them away you know and, and you're like oh you putrid horrible man anyway he gives his thing was like, oh, pure psychopath, so rare to capture one in the wild, or whatever he says, um, or kept, it was so rare to capture one alive. And then he says, oh, it was really smart of him to send you down here, you know, turn him on. And re-watching it now, I was like, is the suggestion here that Hannibal Lecter will be turned on by Clarice Starling because she's an attractive young woman or is the suggestion that she'll turn him on in the sense that like it will just send him into overdrive because he hasn't seen a woman in 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 years and obviously the mental stimulation that comes with something different will turn him on do you know what i mean essentially what i'm asking is is the implication that he will find her desirable and attractive or is the implication that he just will find that the, the mental stimulation a, a, a kick I think it's I think it's the former, but I read that as in it's just showing you how crap he is at his job as a psychologist that he thinks yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- yeah. that Lecter will be somehow you know interested by something so base as to you know wanting to have sex with a woman. Um, yeah, it, it's it's more and it's interesting you say that you know we finally we you know, it's rare to catch one in the wild because 
you know, when Lecter does the kind of, you know, he puts his nostrils up to the to the air hole in the cell and smells and tells her, like, yeah, the skin cream and the type of perfume she wears, but not today kind of thing. It, oh, make the glare. Oh, yeah, but it's a real, like, like today. And it's, it so, it's so down. predatory, right? He's like yeah. a big cat or something, you know, he's like a... Yeah. He's like a and this, this is the thing that... You know, that whole opening scene that really evoked in me and what I think they do so well in that film with Lecter that makes it so terrifying <clears throat> is I've, I've heard it said of, right, um, somebody said it's like, um, I think it was actually, I think it was Joe Rogan or somebody was talking about, he was talking about what it's like sitting with kind of UFC fighters. Like he works with UFC fighters and stuff. And they're these kind of guys who he's like, you know, they kill me with their bare hands. Um, and he's like, it's like being in the presence of like a tiger. You know, it's like what you're in the room is like, there's like a tiger in the room. And I was thinking that when you see kind of the, the length, just the, the sheer amount of like doors and keys and old rusty gates that have to get turned to get to this point of getting down to these kind of this level of hell in which yeah. these kind of inmates reside. And Lecter even has his own special cell within the confines of that, the plastic kind of bulletproof glass and everything, you know, that he has there. It really kind of, it, it, it just, it really evokes that feeling of like, Christ, he is like, he's he is like an animal. It is like a big sort of tiger or some kind of wild cat there that is even more dangerous because he's so smart. He knows how to kind of disarm you. He knows how to charm you, you know. But he still wants the same thing as a tiger would. It's yeah. It's... And, he, and 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 the, the line is like, you, you you don't want him inside your head. Yeah. You know, they're like don't you don't believe me? You don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. And and you can do you know what? There's a I, this is gonna kill me because I've been thinking about this for days and I should have I should have googled what it is. But is it the girl with the dragon tattoo? Have you seen Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? I have it. Yeah. So is it? Is it in that that Daniel Craig sneaks into the guy's house and 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 the guy comes back from wherever he's been and kind of catches him there and he goes to run away and he goes where where are you going coming for a drink yeah and yeah. And, and he goes in and then there's this amazing line where he says you knew you shouldn't have come back but you were so afraid to be discourteous or impolite that you actively walked back into the place that you know you shouldn't have come to <laughs> and 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 it's so it's so true that we do do these things as people we do these things all the time that we're like well I'll, I'll, I don't really want to do that but I'll just be polite or I, I don't want to sort of be seen to be kind of um rude or whatever so I'll do this thing that actively I shouldn't and I think that is part of the thing with her dialogue with him is that you can see her being almost like drawn towards him like she even when he's like closer like and she takes that step and she knows that she shouldn't because mm. she's getting too close to this like you said this this kind of this sort of wild animal that she has to that she should be steering clear of and and I saw someone say that it was kind of that seems amazing because it's a meeting of two equals that are, are both incredibly intelligent. But I, I just didn't see it like that. I was like, she is she, to me, she, she is, it's almost like watching Rocky four. 
you know, you've got Ivan Drago standing over the top of Rocky. And, and then suddenly when she says, no, you ate yours. And then and his, his eyes just flicker away from the camera for a second. It's like she's managed to lay a glove on him. You know, she managed to get a punch in because he's so unbelievable. Even from behind the glass, he's so unbelievably dominant. But she manages to to kind of just get this 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 shot in on him. And then weirdly enough, it is like you said, it's this idea that he sees himself as like, I am, I, I, I'm among these people, but I am certainly not one of them. I'm not as base as these kind of common criminals or whatever they've done. But actually it's because Miggs sort of does his disgusting Spider-Man thing that he does that he's prepared to entertain the idea of, but because he feels like it was so discourteous that someone could do that, that he's prepared to actually have a conversation with her on a more deep level, you know, it's it's really fascinating that it almost takes that act of her being debased by someone else that he's then like, okay, fine. Well, I, 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 I hate the idea of you coming here and someone being impolite. Do you know, I think that's the kind of, that's one of the reasons why it's so scary because he's... Well, it's like she says that later on, doesn't she? When, when Lecter does escape and uh, her, you know, her flatmate or her, you know, maybe her partner, which has been raised, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Um, says, to, you know, he's kind of, he's concerned that Lex is going to come for her. And she's like, I can't explain it to you, but he would consider that rude. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and you totally know in that moment what she, what she means by that, because it, it, there is that other, there's that other scene where she kind of suggests to him that he could go to a different place and get a view and, and maybe go for a walk on the beach. And, and he's, impressed that he's been outfoxed by her yeah you know what is it called pudding island or something what's the i thought he didn't he say anthrax island well he calls it that but it has a it has another name he was calling it out because it was like a um it's a test facility for yes animals yeah, yeah, that yeah. had diseases but it, it yeah I, th- I think it was i've got to look this up now what was it but he's basically said to her he, he, he sort of uh, admires the fact that she's kind of engaged in this game of chess with him and, and managed to plum island plum, plum island. island there you plum go island. yeah close but to yeah but it, that was facet that was fascinating to me i really really enjoyed that that kind of that back and forth i mean there's the other thing did you not i saw a thing i don't know if this is accurate or not did you know he was only on screen in the film for i think it's around 16 minutes yeah i can believe that what, what's the movie about two and a bit hours yeah but that's like he he won he won an Oscar for it, you know, and it's like sixteen minutes. It's incredible, like it's, to think you can yeah. have that much gravity with that little time. It's uh, yeah, I mean it's it's just it's a, it's a it's a masterful performance, isn't it? And it's uh, again as we were talking about with uh, well in the Tarantino pod we were doing last out the kind of the impact the cultural legacy that the movie left you know everybody was has been talking about father beans and chianti since then you know and <laughs> making the cobra noise that he does or whatever it is it's it's uh it's 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 brilliant it's absolutely brilliant um it's not the first time, i just another bit of trivia for you though mate it's not the first time hannibal lecter was actually portrayed on screen though on the big screen do you know who played Hannibal Lecter before oh, Anthony Hopkins? I don't, but I read something about this this week because it was because this isn't the first book, is it? 
Red Dragon comes before this. Is that right? It, it does. But the Red Dragon film was made sometime later. They made a film called Manhunter, which Man- was based on Red Dragon. Yes. And Hannibal Lecter in that was played by none other than Brian Cox, who you yes. now see in Succession. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, have you seen that? I've seen it many years ago. I, I do want to revisit it, though. I yeah, like I might give it a watch now. But like you, like you said, because this is so culturally significant. I mean, there are so many moments of this film that will have been turned into satire, but also parody and, 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 and various other things, and then just referenced in pop culture as well. And then just the way it's made, right? Everyone, it kind of feels... People people used to say about journalism that once once after Watergate happened, that became that became the thing. Everyone was then trying to get their Watergate. Everyone was then trying to get their version yeah. of that. And I kind of feel like on some level, because he is the ultimate baddie, even though he's kind of is a baddie but isn't a baddie, because he's the ultimate villain, it's impacted so much the way in which people have tried to kind of tried to kind of rebuild and and reimagine this this scary character you know and it's so hard to do because i think the reason why it's so scary is because he's he it's almost like he's doing human beings for dummies you know like even when she first approaches his cell he's standing too straight you know he's like He's doing nothing. The other guys are acting more weird. Well, it's, so just, it's, it's so disarming, though, isn't it? When you just see the camera pan and he's just there in the yeah. middle of the cell. <laughs> oh, oh, just the but, way it, but, it, but, you know, he's, he's a psychopath, right? He's yeah. he, he, Now that he doesn't have to mask, he knows that everybody knows what he is. He doesn't have to mask. That's him in his true form. He's standing yeah. there to wait to talk to her. That's why he's there. That's the purpose it is. He's not He's not going to build up kind of any social convention around it or try and hide what he is. If he thinks if he thinks she's going to think he's weird or something like that, he doesn't care, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that's it. You know the scene where he kills the two police officers? Uh, yep. The, that, the way that, the, I mean, one, the way that the police officer looked at him was like, ah, <laughs> like so petrified, which is amazing. But then the coldness with the way that he like, uses the baton it's it's it's, it's so but it's the scary. first time because it's been hinted at for the whole film remember right at the start um when she showed the picture he's like this is what he did to a nurse when they didn't cuff him up properly yeah and they, you know they were like she's she's gonna she's had some reconstruction done to her eye socket and all that type of stuff so you're like okay so he's capable of some pretty awful yeah. things but he's only ever been called like Hannibal the Cannibal. They've never really gone into the. Obviously, we've seen they've expanded it out since. You know, they've done kind of Red Dragon and Hannibal the film as well, where you've seen him in the act of doing all his kind of various yeah. grotesque things. But in this film, it's it's all just his mystique that builds up this character until that very moment when you see, like you say, him beat those two officers to death and perform the blood eagle on one of them. And cut the other one's face off. When you just see the extent of his savagery, it's so much more affecting because it's the one time you see it. And obviously, yes, it's it's immensely bloody. It's the type of thing that's probably given the film an 18 certificate just for, for that scene alone. But still, the fact it's kind of done in that less is more fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh it's so much more just it's 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 astounding it's so it's so well done you know yeah and particularly with the way that he sort of stands there with the classical music playing 
yeah. he's just kind of like gently waving his arm back and forth in this total kind of like almost meditative state. And like a conductor. Yeah. And, and you see, and the fact that he's got like a really rare piece of lamb down in front of him covered in, in human blood is just like this. And I, and I think what's really interesting is that we did Pulp Fiction a couple of weeks ago and that couldn't be further from this in terms of the less is more. That's very much more is more. If you go back to a, a film like Jaws, for example, right, you, you don't yeah. see the shark that often. I think of a, 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 a kind of alien film that I really like is a film called Signs, like M. Night oh, Shyamalan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I love when that. When the leg disappears into the yes, cornfield, right? Yes. Horrible. And, and, and or, or just there's that bit where the hand comes out from beneath the door and <laughs> it slices the hand off and that, you get that screech and you're like, and, and it's scary because you don't see anything and you kind of have to, you almost have to imagine it. And so that it does, there's loads of that in this. There's loads of that kind of like, you have to mm. use your imagination to think just how evil he must be to be in that end cell as the most... The, the sort of like the most kind of evil and depraved so yeah it, it, it is it's fascinating and i suppose we should go on to talk a little bit about um jodie foster's character yeah because this is I, i've watched loads this week of interviews with her well i didn't i don't know if you knew this but she basically it was michelle pfeiffer who was meant to be in the lead role did you know that? really no i had no idea and she basically campaigned for the role she was like, I want to do this. And she'd already won an Oscar at the time. She was like, no, no, I just want to do this film. She read the book and she was like, I, I want to do this. Um, and so Michelle Pfeiffer dropped out and then she was like, it's mine <laughs> sort of thing. And like really made it happen. But I think one of the things that I sort of, with her character that I found really interesting, did you think that she was meant to be portrayed as a hyper attractive woman? Or that she was meant to be portrayed as she could be any woman and blokes would treat you like this. Yeah, the latter. Right. Definitely, definitely so. The way that the, the film kind of pushed these horrible scenes of just blokes being just grim, really. I, I couldn't tell because she's obviously a very attractive person anyway. Mm. So I couldn't tell whether it was... And I didn't, obviously, because it's 1993 or whatever it is, I couldn't tell whether they were saying, like, she's just incredibly attractive and, and, and men are behaving like this, or whether it was saying, like, men are just just like this, you know, and, and blokes can be like that. And for, for all women, you'll have this experience. I think it was kind of, it was, it was potentially exaggerated or at least not particularly subtle in places but mm, i mm. guess it was really trying to ram home probably for the male viewers because i'm sure there's a lot of knowing glances between women watching that film at the time and probably still are yeah, to this day but to, especially to the male audience of being like this is this is what it's like lads you know <laughs> this is kind yeah. of the constant feeling of those kind of leering if it's not leering eyes it's people dismissing your ability or it's people talking down to you, you know, even like the, what's his name? The, the, the police, like the head guy that gets uh, involved in the case. I forget his oh name. Oh my gosh. I'm going to get it for you very quickly. That Hannibal Lecter hates. Yeah. Crawford. You're one of Crawford. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Crawford, even him, when it comes down to it, you know, he dismisses her. And there's that, there's that, there's that brilliant moment in the car when he's like, oh, sorry, I threw you under the bus back there, Starling. Just, you know what these local police are like. you got to kind of show them you're one of the boys type thing. Yeah. And she was just like, but that stuff matters. 
And he's like, yeah. oh, come on. And she's like, it matters. They look up to you as a senior person. And you're speaking that way. It matters. Yeah. And he's kind of like point taken, sorry, and kind of like shrinks into himself a bit. You know, it's kind yeah, of. Yeah, he kind of shrinks into the chair, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 really nicely done. But I think the thing that I, I, I like most about kind of Starling and the, the way in which that Jodie Foster has has portrayed her really is that there's a genuine strength to her character and there's a genuine strength to her character in so much as she's not afraid to show that she's vulnerable sometimes yeah you know yeah. she doesn't she doesn't feel the need to prove anything to anybody i don't think she she is doing what she thinks is right that's ultimately what she's doing i don't see her having this kind of like i'm here to show the men what's what her thing is i'm here to solve crimes i'm here to save yeah. The senator's daughter that's in the pit i'm here to bring down buffalo bill you know her in in a way it's almost like her concerns um are, are similar to to hannibal lecter's she's not thinking about the kind of the concerns of like everyday people and stuff you know it, it's it's a, it's an inconvenience that her male colleagues and such are like this and she shows her, like we say, that balls in speaking to her superior, to Jack Crawford, telling him that what he did was bad, especially in, in that time, you know, in the what late 80s, early 90s, I guess, when the, the whole film is kind of set and created. Um, it's brilliant. And there's there's a there's another really good moment. I actually read. Um, oh, dear, let me I've got to find I want to credit the person because it was a really interesting article. He'd, he'd written about in particular. There's a there's a scene that kind of just completely sums up Clarice. Um, and it's the scene when she goes to um, when she goes to the garage, when she goes to Hannibal Lecter's locker. Yes, right. Yeah. And it, 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 the the writer was essentially making this point that there's a whole load of superfluous sequence here. That when you're making a movie, right, and when you're writing a movie, sometimes the audience, we we, we well, a lot of the time as an audience, we watch things and we don't really kind of pick up on things. We're just kind of like, oh, the person did that because that's what people do. They kind of always don't, they don't often have that connect that a writer does when a writer is like, I have put that on the page. I have inserted this into the film for a reason. And so there's the, there's the whole sequence when she, she shows up and they can't get the door open and the guy who owns the lockup won't help and the driver, he says, oh, no, he's not going to help. So you see her then, I think they said there's about three minutes of screen time. And he, he count, I think he said there was like something like 14 different camera setups involved in this whole sequence of her getting the jack from her car, turning the headlights on, kind of, you know, winching up the door and going underneath it kind of thing. He was just saying it just shows to her character that, you know, when she's not going to be helped by men, even when it's a situation where she's like, okay, I'm going to be an inconvenience here. I'm going to hold everyone up and I'm going to yeah, winch this open yeah. and I'm going to, but she's going to do it. And she's not afraid to use all of the tools at her disposal in this time, a car jack to prize open a door to get to where she wants to get to. Um, yeah. I really, I, I'll, I'll find it. I'll tweet it out after, after we've done this. Cause I don't want to waste too much time searching yeah. for this, for this article, but it was a, it was a really interesting article. It was a really interesting perspective on kind of on, I thought on Clarice Starling and, you know, well, I'm about to do exactly the same thing um, and steal someone else's opinion. And I will find, I'll back reference. I'll, I'll make sure I go back and find who said this, but there is a real um, 
power to that scene. I mean, another thing is that, that you know, the guy who's kind of standing by, who's, who's lock up it is, he goes, oh, maybe we should come back tomorrow with my son. You know, and it's yeah, like yeah. He, he finds three different ways to kind of like let her down in that in that dialogue. But um, she goes into this this place, into this lockup, and she looks at all of these different things through through a woman's eyes. She is finding things that that blokes have not been able to find that men will have overlooked or that men haven't kind of picked up on. And you see it again later on in the film because she goes into, he said the police, she goes to, to, to the, one of the victims houses. So the police have been here loads. There's nothing more to find or whatever. There's nothing more here. And then because she goes into the jewelry box and kind of looks in underneath the jewelry box or, or, or the kind of, I forget what it's called. It's, it's like a, it's like a, it's it's like a music jewellery box isn't it it's playing a song and then she takes it out and finds Polaroids underneath that are kind of very intimate and and personal Um, she's able to find things that other people have got blind spots with Um, and I think that's that is one of the the real gorgeous bits about this like fully fleshed out character is that she does enter into that world and she displays all of the traits that you need to be good at your job in terms of like bravery and, and strength and the kind of like daring and um, almost like leadership because you see her tell the group of local sheriffs or, or police that they need to get out so that, they, that she can get on and do her job. But, but she never loses her identity. Like you said, there is that other character that I think is really, really crucial, who is either a friend or a partner or just another female character. And I don't know her name, which is really rubbish to me. I don't know what she's credited as, but I think it's so crucial that you have that foil there almost so that you always see that she never loses her own identity. You know, she's consistently like they she goes and she's in this incredibly kind of male dominated environment but then they'll just flip over and show her at she's at home isn't she in that scene where she said where he'd find it rude yeah like she's she's at home with 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 this this friend and who she then graduates with at the end and i think that's kind of that's really a really kind of nice touch that she has all of the traits of the kind of more masculine characters in the film without ever losing all of the traits that make her kind of her own character, which is kind of cool because I don't think this would, I imagine, again, I wouldn't know because I wasn't uh, old enough to watch films in 1993, but I'd imagine there weren't too many characters like that at the time. No, no, definitely not. And I mean, there's there's a really, just in time, in terms of like you're talking about how they're subverting the genre, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a horror movie. I mean, that's kind of what it's billed as. I, I personally don't see it as a horror film, but it's let's say it can be kind of grouped in the, in there with a young woman. The whole genre is built around kind of the massacre of young women in these films, you know, Wes Craven and such all throughout the 70s and 80s, John Carpenter. The opening scene, like the opening shots, the opening section of this film is a young woman, Jodie Foster in this instance, running through a kind of misty woodland with that dark, ominous music playing. And usually, right, you're just expecting something to happen 
here yeah. to her, yeah. right? But in this movie, it's her getting called, you know, it's, it's, it's interrupted by the drill sergeant or whoever it is telling her that Jack Crawford wants to see her in her office. And thus ensues the story, but I just like I like that straight away. And I, in my opinion, I think that's very deliberate. The the choice of subverting the genre in that way, you know. Yeah, and also the fact that she's out there on her own, working harder, supposedly, I guess, than yeah. other people. That she's out there, kind of putting in the extra yards. And I also read another theory that the idea was of that of that opening scene that it was meant to, because it's so misty, that it's meant to sort of mirror the the kind of her running away thing mm. because it's like she kind of goes on about how cold it was and and she didn't get very far before she was before she was caught before she was brought back um and then you see her going through all these obstacles and and sort of running as, as fast as she can away and then someone comes and brings her back um which i thought was quite an interesting quite an interesting thing and there was like a load of little another little thing for example like i forget the name of the the character who's in that is trapped down the in the pit um the senator's daughter sort of only occurred to me there's like she's led out of the house and they try to take the dog off of her and she says no really yeah and it looks like a little sheep you know it looks like a little lamb it looks like she sort of carry it and they're like "We'll, we'll take the dog she's like no and it's sort of like there's almost that weird kind of like she's rescued this lamb from this this monster, yeah. you know, which I, th- I thought was quite cool. But again, that's only I would never have picked up on that unless I was watching it for the pod. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that yeah. I, I kind of like that you pick up those little things. That's nice. I really like that. I think just kind of on the uh, I guess on this point on, on talking about like Jodie Foster representation of like women on, on screen, especially in that time. I think there's one bit that really sticks with me, like you're saying, is it's coming towards the climax of the film and essentially Crawford and the rest of them just ignore Starling in the end. And you see, and you, you, it leads to that brilliantly cut shot where you think they're going to Buffalo oh, Bill's house. Yes, but that they is don't. so good. But it's, it's so funny when they're sort of saying like, don't worry, Starling, well done. We'll let everyone know you did a good job. Pat on the head. We'll it's take like, it from here. Yeah, but it's a whole plane. You see, it's a whole group of men all crowded round. It's all a load of men going to like break into this abandoned house where nobody is. And it's just her on her own. And I thought it was just such a nice device again to show her kind of isolation from even this institution she's supposed to be a part of. Like it felt very, very deliberate. It was so brilliantly kind of like poignant and just impactful. I thought in that in that oh, final mate. instance. Well, the, because the thing is that it isolates her, right? So then you get into, and again, I think we talked about a Pulp Fiction. You know where the guy is lying on the sofa and he's like, don't move. And yeah. then he's like paralyzed and stuck. You get a version of that here where she's looking directly at him and then she sees the, the moth. And then she's paralyzed and you're like, oh my gosh, you're going to have to confront this guy. And then you're sort of paralyzed watching because you're like, oh my God, this is horrible. Like, this is so Especially horrible. because what, what it does immediately, in my, the echo in my mind is when you've just seen again, very deliberately earlier on in the thing when she's just doing a training drill and he's like, bang, Stalin, you're dead. Yeah. You didn't check your yeah. blind spot. So, you know, it's just reminding you she's still a rookie. You know, she still hasn't been in the field. She still doesn't know what she's doing. So in this moment, she's up against this monstrous psychopathic serial killer that butchers and skins women. She's there alone with him. And like you say, suddenly 
again, you see that vulnerability and that performance that Jodie Foster does to, sh- to show that, to show how, however ballsy Clarice Starling is, she can still fall back into that moment of like, I'm scared, shit, you know, and she yeah. does it so well. Oh my God, you feel like, it, so don't you? brilliantly. And you it's so just feel that. that horrible, like, Ted, I mean, Ted Levine, I'm sure we'll talk about him in a minute, but like, his, his, his performance is brilliant. Just when he's looking through the cards and the way he's suddenly like, uh, yeah, she knows who I am. Do you know what I yeah. mean? You can oh just tell. God. And then the way he like drops them and Casually runs into it. Oh, it. It's, it's so, so creepy. It's so creepy. Yeah, and there's and the fact that you sort of see the gun on the side as yeah. well. So you've been shown the gun, which means it like someone's gonna die here. You know, there's two guns. So that means one of them's gonna get used. It's just, it's so it's it's kind of it's probably. I think that's the first time in the film where you are actually no, there's one other point, isn't there? Where she goes into um, his, his lockup when you're like, wow, we're re-, she's like her life's in danger here. You know, you sort yeah, of, cause she's yeah. walking around and then you see that head floating in the jar and you're like, Oh, you know, that just, that, the, the it's way horrible that as well, isn't it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so scary. It's so scary. And, and yeah, that, that scene that then plays out from there, the fact that it's done, like you said earlier on, on, on night vision goggles. And yet it's still that, I mean, that's what makes it really, but it's so special, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, if we sort of like, I, I was interested to know from your perspective, mate, on this film, because I think there's a there's a lot made of like the relationship between Starling and Lecter. Is there an air of mutual appreciation? Is there an air of kind of mutual respect or not? And when I watch, and I've I've, I've often sort of wondered that. But really, you, you know how you were talking about like you know the kind of like the the levels that they're both at and everything. Because I agree that they have kind of almost met an intellectual match with one another. What generally undermines, I guess, Starling is her want to, to do the right thing. Um, yeah. In the respect, she she plays by the rules. You know, she's a she's a straight shooter, whereas Lecter will manipulate and use people to to get whatever he wants. And that's not always the case, actually. To be fair, she does lie about Plum Island, so she does play him at his own game. And I think that disarms Lecter because he doesn't expect that of her. He's profiled her as somebody that that wouldn't do that type of thing to him. But for the most part, you know, she she does try to do things by the book. And as much as I mean, one of the things that I think is most painful about this, and you see it in her in her reaction to it right at the very end, is that the filmmakers, I think, and well, the writer, I guess, Daniel Harris, he, 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 they do build up this idea that there is some kind of mutual respect and that they feel that they're kind of kindred spirits in a way. But yeah. to me, right at the end, it's just showing you that ultimately all Lecter has done is use her. He has manipulated her and used her to get what he wants, which is ultimately freedom. And he's engineered an entire situation whereby, you know, he may he may have this finer kind of honour amongst thieves or honour amongst cannibals, I guess in this case, <laughs> idea that he wouldn't kill her because he says the world is more interesting with people like her in it. Well, you know, you can take from that what you want, but still the thing for me is that his little phone call right at the end was almost to say, ha I won, you know? Oh, did you think? I did. That's, that's oh kind of how God, I took that it. That's so interesting. Because I, 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 
I didn't think it was I've won here. You've because there's um in the in the film uh, Ex Machina, right? There's that yep. the, the the scene where the where spoiler alert, Alicia Vikander's character essentially is let free, and then she's essentially is like, yeah, I I played you, you know, I I I. I, and uh, Dominal Gleeson, that's that's the character in it. Domin- Dominal Gleeson's character has been fawning over this AI for the whole film and, and is convinced that she's in love with him and then just enough to make sure that he lets her free and then once she gets free, she's like, no, I was just acting the whole time. Um, and weirdly enough, when you were describing it there, that's kind of where my head went, but I didn't feel like that was what he was saying. I... For me, I thought it was playing into the idea of kind of almost addiction that mm. he couldn't not call her, that he had to call her, you know, and that there was almost a professional courtesy in the idea of saying to her, like, I'm not going to come and kill you. Um, and because she's like, he sort of says that thing as like, oh, well, I hope you'll do me the same courtesy. But she says, you know, I'm not going to do that. You know I'm not going to give you the same courtesy. Yeah. So it's almost like he wants the game to go on. Like I, I got the impression from watching it that he almost wants to get caught. I was like, it's like he knows he's going to get caught again because, like a lot of serial killers, they can't help the fact that, or the, or, or they don't want to help the fact that they're going to go on and commit these crimes again. They're going to go out and repeat offend. Like he, he's got free. He's going to go and have that guy for dinner, which is, by the way, it's... what. Unbelievably well delivered. We're up there for me with love your suit. Like, oh, mate, that's yeah, it's brilliant, so isn't it? Good. Oh, and Senator, <laughs> love your suit. <laughs> so good the way he says it. It's so, like, and also the reaction of the guy when he goes, "Son of a bitch!" Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just so perfectly over the top. <laughs> but um, but when when they're having that bit of dialogue, I just for me that was just like, oh, by the way, we haven't finished playing chess yet. Yeah, like yeah. that—that that was kind of how I felt from it. But I love—I love that there that that there is that kind of you can go both ways of it. I, that's so interesting. That, well, see, that was the way you've seen it. Like you said, because there is something in in you know at least this the popularized image of kind of serial killers and psychopaths that they almost want to be caught because it validates their work. It, it's, yeah, it's it's a sign that. I am the one that did this. I did these monsters. They leave things. nuggets, don't they? Yeah, that leave, it, it, leave the breadcrumbs. It's, it's, it's that type of thing. But there's certain little bits when you can see in Lecter's ego. You know, when he is, he, 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 he's a amongst other things. He's a, he's a massive narcissist. You know, and yeah, you know, he calls that nobody Buffalo Bill. He calls him that nobody. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like he's yeah. A, like he's a competitor. <laughs> You know, it's yeah, that type yeah. of thing. And he's getting the attention. That first, the very first time when she claps back at him, when he says, I, you know, when he's kind of, he's sort of like deriding her work when she says something about serial killers collecting tokens. He says, well, I didn't do that. And she says, yeah, because you ate them. You know, he, he clapped, <laughs> he, she claps back at him. And his, his ego is so affronted by that because he's suddenly like, I'm one of them. Shit, she's got me. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like them. You know, yeah. I, I, I can be characterized in, in these kind of like, you know, because he's so like, Ugh, you try to reduce me to this mere questionnaire, this psychological yeah. profile. You know, he thinks he's oh, so above man, it. That, but that is that that for me, that that just that sort of perfect. Did you notice as well when 
he hangs up the phone, the way that he walks towards like after the after Chilton. Yeah, it's like gleefully almost mincing the way that he kind of like sort of meanders behind him like in this kind of very almost regal white suit with the hair and the, the hat it's just it's kind of it's almost quite um theatrical yeah do you know what i mean well it's, I, I wanted to talk to you about that that last scene as well because charlotte was saying it was like when we watch it back it's funny how they just hold on that last shot even as yeah. the credits roll over it and it's on screen for three four minutes right where yeah. you see Lecter walk off after Chilton and long after they're both out of shot and you still just see people mingling about in the shot. And I was sort of talking to Charlotte about it, like, what do you think that's about? Like, why, why do you think they've done that? And we were just saying it's like, it's maybe even part of it. You know, obviously Lecter's got his disguise on again. He's, he's got a new mask on. Seeing like people in that way, living their lives, just going about completely unawares that there's that monster there. It felt to me like they're almost making that point as you, as that's happening right at the end of the film and you're about to walk out of the cinema or walk away from the screen and go about your normal everyday life as those people are, just don't forget there are those monsters amongst us, you know? There are in places. And it, it just felt, it suddenly, it felt so eerie to me that last scene when when we kind of like considered it in that way. Yeah, mate, that's why the film, to me, that was, I'm so glad we got onto this because that, for me, is the scariest bit about this film. That is why this film is scary. It's because even though we don't like to admit it to ourselves, like, and, and we sort of ghost stories and all of these things that we might find stereotypically scary, the scariest thing is the idea that hiding in plain sight are the, the worst of what you could possibly even begin to imagine that people are just walking among everyone day to day. And I mean, I don't want to go into any of the kind of horrible atrocities that have happened over the last kind of four or five years in, in the UK and London alone. But that is the scariest thing about this kind of thing is that there's this guy who is incredibly intelligent, pathological, doesn't feel any emotion towards the the things that he's done and yet spotting him in a crowd is is made to look by the film as very difficult you yeah. know it's easy to spot him when he's in the cell like when he's in the cell and standing up to attention you're like okay that guy's that guy's psychotic like but when he's just mincing around in the just sort of casually sort of quite happily sort of skipping in and out of, of people every day. No one notices him. Not even the people that are supposed to be protecting this guy who's gone and got a safe house ready to go. No one even bats an eyelid at him, which is yeah, so scary, you know? And he's, he's on the phone saying, I'm about to go and kill someone to an FBI agent. And then he just gets up and walks freely off. Like, it, yeah, like that is so frightening. And that for me is, it, it, that is what the whole film we only get him in that in that environment what for it can't even be a minute you know but it has the the power to kind of change the whole film you know just absolutely incredible so magic um is there 
anything was there any was that i mean i've gone very big on that being the idea of why i found it frightening was that why you found the film frightening i guess so and i just i think the 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 it's just that sense that people you know how they said don't let him get into your head there is that sense that there are things that can the stuff that we're driven by right she's driven by this childhood trauma she's driven by her father being killed as he was a police officer and she's forever terrified she's trying to make the screaming of the lambs stop you know the silence of the lambs it's what she's looking for it's the stuff that we're driven by these kind of dark places in our heads these kind of visceral feelings and thoughts Hannibal was obviously driven by his hunger his desire for domination for control for power and it's it's again it's again it's in such a like predatory and again it's it, to me it's very deliberate that he's a cannibal you know it's the ultimate way mm. of possessing somebody of owning them literally consuming them you know that's 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 how he has to he has to be in control completely of every single scene you see it from the very very beginning you know you see when she first approaches the cell he he asserts command straight away show me your id closer closer you know he's yeah. he's he's asserting his dominance immediately straight away and again you know you've got ted levine who we we've, we've barely even spoken about you know mm. an other outstanding performance i'm sure we'll get onto that in a second um in buffalo bill how he you know he's the whole kind of film the central plot is around transformation is around his want to go into this cocoon this cocoon of human flesh and emerges as a woman or as something else you know he wants to be reborn as something different and it's it's quite interesting you see um there's quite a lot of like this is one of the things i noticed this time only actually there's a lot of nazi iconography in and yeah. around buffalo bill's yeah. home and I looked into that and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people just kind of theorize, you know, some people are just as quick to just say, it's just because he's, you know, he's a wacko and he's drawn to kind of this stuff. But a lot of people are saying that, like, especially in that time, um, the swastika is, and this isn't to take away from any of the kind of, you know, the harm and like the pain that people feel when they think about a swastika and everything that it represents from the past. It's not in any way to diminish that, but... I'm just talking about one thing that I've read in that the, the swastika was often seen as a symbol. A lot of like, for example, punks wore it and stuff like that. Right. Not to symbolize that they were a Nazi or they somehow shared any kind of Nazi ideology. It was seen as like the biggest taboo. It was kind of like the worst thing you could do in society would be to wear a swastika because it's because it's such a, and rightfully so, but there's such a kind of, an aversion to that symbol and everything that it represents that people would kind of wear it in that way and champion it and they were saying that like the some people theorize that, it, that in buffalo bill he might be drawn to that or have that there because it's just showing you how detached and utterly kind of devoid of social norms he feels you know that he he yeah. feels so completely apart from that society and whether that's because he has psychological issues or whether that's because he he genuinely feels he is he is a you know he's a, he's a trans woman he's a trans person caught within his body even though Hannibal Lecter himself late you know 
earlier on in the film says that he he believes that he isn't a transsexual. Um, Hannibal Lecter's words. Um, it's showing you that whatever is going on in the in the psychology of of Buffalo Bill, there's a there's a want to to, to reject everything about society, and it drives him to do all these these awful terrible things. And obviously, Chloe Starling uses this for good, but she's a she's sucked into this world that is again, you know, she's she's trying to get over the trauma of of these lambs being slaughtered and is going closer to a different type of slaughter, and it it just when you really think about kind of what motivates you and what drives you um, and what kind of lengths you or one is willing to go to, to, to achieve that, it's, it's, it's just, it's a scary, it's a scary thought. And it, it, it is kind of, you know, it, it's muddled by the, the, by psychopathy and by mental illness from people involved in it. But I guess there's a there's a sense with the filmmakers there with there's a bit of like chicken and egg are they driven to this because they're psychopaths or are, are they getting deeper into this world because of the things that they've done or the things that they want to achieve you know yeah and I mean like you said as well the the Ted Levine the the performance that that he gives to kind of to stir that in you while you're watching and I mean we'll come on to some of the the problems and the challenges with with that as as well because there are things that that need to be kind of that need to be flagged etc but his performance is it is chilling isn't it the way that he kind of like has this disconnect you know that, that, that when he's doing the when he's sort of having sort of passing down the the food in a bucket it puts the lotion on its <laughs> skin it does this whenever it's told. You know how he just <laughs> the voice it, is so it's it. so it's so fright like the voice is so frightening. You, you know, you, you got to give me my dues, mate. It's taken me probably about 40, 50 minutes like, before I've done the Buffalo done Bill impression. How you haven't done it yet? Because I'm trying to be a big serious podcast man. Yeah, you know? <laughs> never, mate. We're not above doing like these these impressions. I'm like, not just going to lead in with "Would you fuck me?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that as well, though. As an actor, to do to do that to 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 get that scene right. You know, and it, and it have it. It's so, so it's genuinely it's, it's up there, isn't it? And you sort of think that I think the film, what was it? It was like seven Oscars or something, six, seven Oscars if, if, across the board. If, so if, on, if, I was just gonna say the the thing is, it was kind of a rod for Ted Levine's own back. A good friend of mine, Gemma, she's always said to me, "Is like if you see him in anything else, though, you just see Buffalo Bill." Buffalo now. Bill, it, yeah. It, and it, 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 yeah. I wonder if that has factored into other filmmakers' decisions. Because you put you put yeah. him in a movie and you were just going to think Buffalo Bill. Oh, it's Buffalo Bill. You know, and you, you, you sort of think about someone popping their goodies between their legs and dancing in front of the camera. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. that's instantly where your where your mind goes to because of because of how powerful his performance is. And and also there is a kind of there is a with him there is a kind of we see his arc in the film. At the beginning, he, st he he sort of starts as a fairly, um, he's he's almost quite gruff, right? He's very rough and in the way that he because he turns up in a when van. He traps and her in the van, yeah, yeah, and it's quite it's quite sort of um, very kind of in terms of what you might expect from a kind of a, a kidnapping fi in a film. You know, it's quite it, that's quite a normal sort of 
it's quite a frightening and scary thing, you know, oh God, he's, he's kidnapped her. It's kind of as the film progresses that there's this terror building throughout and it, and it's coinciding with all of the information that you're starting to be given. And then his performance is just ramping up and ramping up and ramping up in terms of what he's giving you on the screen. It's just absolutely phenomenal. It's so, so good. Um, that, that by the end, when Clarice Starling is kind of, you, you know, when he, like you said, he reaches out and tries to sort of almost, he can't help himself because he wants to, he wants to kind of almost like touch her before he kills her. Mm. You know, it's it's so kind of it is perfectly all of the threads are just being perfectly woven together, and all of the kind of misdirection that's gone on before just kind of serves to amp it up. That by the time that she kind of gets him, it almost drops into slow motion. There is that that freeze for a second where you're like, that, 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 it's brilliant though, isn't it? Because it it just highlights again that the whole film is based upon people's base instincts. You know, this yeah. kind of sex touch taste eating yeah. smell you know it, it's all very visceral and like you say even in that final moment he just can't help himself you know he's yeah. a tailor he's a tailor of skin you know he wants yeah. to just touch her he wants to feel he's it. got the night vision goggles he's got a gun like he could he could kill her you know but he can't it, he, he's too and i think that is part of the reason why i think at the end you've got with anthony hopkins character sort of saying that making the phone call i think he can't help himself i think he can't help because he's he's free you know he got out he can't and that, it just sort of feels like he can't help himself and that, that even just i think it's so intentional in in the when they're in his kind of like in his house in the in the basement of the house and he's just stretches his hand out and it pulls back and then he cocks the gun you know it just, it's oh, so good right let's go on and do some mvps i mean this is this is a, this is a very tough one um, because there are three in particular phenomenal performances, but who are you giving it to? I'm going to say, mate, and I'm not just saying this to be that guy. I'm giving it to Foster for this one. You know, I know, yeah. I know that I know that the, the, the one that's staring you in the face is Hannibal Lecter and everything that Anthony Hopkins has done there. Sir Anthony Hopkins, I should say, has done there to, uh, to, make him such a memorable and brilliant character but like you say he's he's barely on screen the the, the film is carried by by jo, by jodie foster you know yeah she brings the best out of lecter that kind of the tennis that she plays with him is absolutely fantastic it's 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 an astounding performance from her and it's very interesting to know that like you say that she wanted it so much um because you can just you can feel that she's she has given everything to that role and an interesting tidbit on this is that it's she was largely uh her portrayal of clarice starling was largely the inspiration for dana scully in the x-files i um, i did hear that yeah. i heard chris, that chris Amazing. carter said he based and he wanted Gillian anderson to basically study jodie foster's performance there and they styled clarice starling uh, they styled Dana Scully pretty much entirely on Clarice Starling and just her kind of her aura and everything that she gave out. And it's I get I, I think it's 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 left that legacy because from that point um, of her being in that film, you know, it, it opened up this kind of the cop drama to many more women to play these. You know, and you see it all now in all of these kind of 
law and order and csi and all this type of stuff you know you've always got that kind of strong female cop who is mixing it with the boys and manages to kind of you know sort of you know distance herself from all of their kind of advances and their patronizing and generally kind of rise to the top um and I think Foster's just, it's just, it's a, it's a brilliant performance from start to finish, you know? Yeah, one more tidbit on this. So Jonathan Demner, the director, said that after Michelle Pfeiffer had, had, had backed out, um, or that it had broken down, I can't remember what one it was, Jodie Foster pushed so much to do this character that he's, that um, I think someone said to him, like, you, you, you didn't pick her the first time around. What made you so sure it was her? as your number two as your kind of like as your fallback option and he said that she came to see him after that after he found out that it wasn't going to be Michelle Pfeiffer she came to see him and he said he saw her striding down the corridor towards him with this like stern look on her face like I am going to have this part and he was like and I knew that had to be Clarice like I knew that had to it, it had to be someone that carried that level of like determination and kind of like I'm going to make this happen sort of thing, um, that that he that he had to pick her and I I completely agree like I I I think Anthony Hopkins is so good because of the dynamic between them that she has to largely carry for the for the whole film and then he gets to it kind of is quite like you described he gets to do the. He gets to do the sprint finish. Do you know what I mean? He gets to do that kind of whole thing of like, oh, I'm not like the other ones. Um, but she has to do a lot of the legwork to get to get it there. So I think it is. I think it's Jodie Foster to, to me as well. He he's great, but it's uh, he he is fantastic. I don't want to take anything away from that. It's it's, it's a phenomenal performance, and I really I love Anthony Hopkins as an actor. But it's it's a it's a caricature that he plays as Hannibal Lecter. You know, like the depth and the complexity of Clarice Starling is on another level, in my opinion. And I think you just have to, and this, this, I get it, an actor, really, their performance can only be as strong as the script that they're given. Yeah. But when you look at kind of the Hannibal films that have been made out the back of it with Anthony Hopkins, the legacy, the lasting legacy just isn't there. Red Dragon, I actually really enjoyed as a film, but still it's, it's not anywhere near on the on the same level, is it? You know? But I don't think you can. I don't think you can. In, I don't think you can explore that character. I think the entirety of that character, the the reason why we kind of find ourselves glued to it is because you know so little. You have to try and piece everything together. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So the more that you give, the less that you get back from that from that character and it's sort of I think that again I know you and I have spoken about this on a previous pod but it's very much a case of you sort of find yourself getting into that idea that um it, oh we need a sequel we need a prequel we need another one we need another one we need another one we need another one because we can keep beating this cash cow because it obviously I think the budget for this was something like 20 30 million and it made 300 so when you've got those kinds of numbers the the the, the company's just not gonna let that slide they're gonna right okay beat that cash pinata and just keep working on it um this is a tough one mate and i think there's a couple of things we should get into but the aging process for this mm -hmm. fine wine war crime again i mean like we always say mate somewhere somewhere in between i would say on this one in terms of the representation of women on screen and the type of character that a woman could be especially within the confines of a horror 
and a cop show, it was pretty revolutionary, right? It was it was kind of up there. It was Absolutely, really championing yeah. it. Um, in terms of the the stuff that you know, I think people will struggle with. It's 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 going to be based around Ted Levine's character. It's going to be based around Buffalo Bill for the most part. Um, again, you know, we're seeing a kind of the representation of a of a should we say a trans presenting person at least um, being portrayed as evil, being portrayed as the antagonist again. Whether or not that's the filmmaker's intention, that's the kind of lasting cultural legacy in places of that film of people laughing at, you know, like we say, men dancing around in women's clothes and it, it, you know, I think it's a very complex topic, which is probably not really touched upon at all in the film. It is merely used as a device. Yeah. And I think, I think the director actually, he then, he sort of over the course of time, gradually accepted the arguments that trans people were putting forward about the film because he was a well he's n- buffalo uh, uh, hannibal lecter says that he's not accepted for the for the transgender or the gender reassignment because he's not actually trans and and i think i don't want to steal this one from you because you sent me a brilliant article what was the, what was that on what site was that on the article you sent shudder it was on yeah it was, it was, so sh- yeah they're like a streaming platform themselves but i think they have like a blog as well uh, i mean the, the the kind of a couple of the comments in the article that you sent me it definitely it sort of made me think well actually there is an issue here because just because someone says well you're you're not a trans person doesn't mean that he's not a trans person you know he's decided that that he's made that decision that he is that he, he he he's there in his mind and i think that's probably quite a, a challenging people i read a, another article where um the, it was an article on slash film um and is a, a, a an actress called jen richards basically said i was about to go through um it, it, it this was taken from a uh, a documentary on netflix sorry but this was within an article that i read on mm. slash film i was about to go through transition and I worked up the courage to tell one of my uh, colleagues, she was a very smart woman, very talented musician, very well educated, very worldly. And she looked at me and goes, what, you mean like Buffalo Bill? And so uh, people obviously have, whether you, whether it was your intention as a director or not, people have taken that away from the film. They've taken that lasting image and that lasting kind of memory. Um, and if there were, 200 other films at the time and 199 of them represented trans people in a totally glowing light then you kind of maybe this kind of doesn't stand out as much but because at the time i imagine this would be again my knowledge of 1993 films is, is based on my reflective watching now you kind of see that people who were probably at that at that era were like is this the only representation of someone that I recognize that I'm going to see. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, you know, demented serial killer. Yeah. Which is, that's about, you know, it's the, it's the, 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 the article on shudder was by harmony M. Colin, Colin as well. If anybody wants to read it, it's the lamb. It's a really screen, good article. Reanalyzing silence of the lambs. It's a, you know, it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strong piece. And 
they're very unhappy with silence of lambs and it's 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 interesting though because we're talking about this as is it you know how has it aged at the premiere there were there were large protests of silence mm. of lambs which i wasn't aware of until we we, we were going to do this podcast so no, me neither. it's obviously been you know i think on 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 one hand we can we can look at it and we can say you know as you said the director has said that buffalo bill wasn't supposed to be transsexual that it was more you know we've spoken about the nazi iconography and what have you it was somebody that just felt detached from society a product of abuse who felt that they had to subvert every single thing about the kind of societal norms about the human experience and such um and we we can sort of talk about it in that detached fashion as again as kind of like you know cisgender kind of men and stuff like that but at the same time you know it's important to consider how this i can watch this film and say i think it's a brilliant film but it is also always worth noting that other people aren't going to be happy about this and i think one of one of the things as we sort of said previously it it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to say okay don't watch this film anymore this should be consigned to kind of the group of bad films yeah. but i think one of the things and it would be good if we can get to this kind of middle place because you try and have these conversations with some people oh don't don't talk about it. stop being a kind of a snowflake stop trying to be yeah. woke and all that type of thing it's like i'm not telling you not to to watch the film or to even enjoy it i'm just saying just consider you know that not everybody's going to love it for this reason and it well, doesn't yeah. hurt to talk about that absolutely and let me i tell you what let me flip this over to the other side then because there is clear there like you said i didn't know that there had been this protest at the at the academy awards but on the other side of this there is a way in which this film has aged incredibly well because we now i think anyway i don't know i don't know if this is the same for you but i feel like as a society we now have a fascination with serial killer documentaries yeah, and yeah. serial killer films and this idea i'm just thinking i wrote down a couple off the off the bat that i had watched <clears throat> so we'd watch the, the the ted bundy one with the, the 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 kind of both the documentary but also the zach efron film mind hunter with the mm. um with the kind of like profiling of serial killers psychological profiling serial killers evil genius zodiac jeffrey dharma or the the new dharma series on netflix manhunt that there is that there has been so many in the last kind of 10 years that this is actually tapping into something very ahead of its time as well that we clearly do have a fascination as a society with, yeah. with people that are kind of living outside of our our circle of trust as it were you know the the kind of the idea of these people that are that are there that are capable of this kind of thing and we kind of can't help ourselves you know we sort of want it it's it's like driving driving past a, you, you an accident you, that, you, know? you can't the take salacious, your eyes the salacious headlines right that are in the newspaper yeah. clippings bill skins a fifth or something whatever it is yeah you know? yeah yeah and we clearly like i mean even now so this was this is 30 plus years old we still now in fact now more than ever but this this it, i wouldn't say this film is in any way out of step with the sort of thing that you might see created today in terms of in terms of the actual uh, exploration of chasing down a serial killer you know yeah that 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 is something that we see all the time so um and and when the dharma series came out i remember people were absolutely hooked to it you know and it was a horrend like the the atrocities of that were 
it was it was horrendous. But it was a deeply people... affecting show that that really got me. You know. Oh, was... mate. And again, you know, like we're talking about fine wine or raw crime. That that hasn't gone down well with a lot of people. And no. you know, I, I I will still happily say I watched the the show and I guess I would say I enjoyed it. You know, even the, it, it, it feels one way it feels horrible other. to say I enjoyed, yeah. but as it, it was it was entertainment, and I understand the argument that lives of other people shouldn't be entertainment. But yeah. you know, hey, I'm. I'm part of the problem, I guess, but it, it was, it was, yeah, it was a, yeah, I don't know. The whole industry it, is built on that, but it, there is something, there is something, and I've heard some people say, you know, there's a part of us, you know how they say we have nightmares because we're, it was a way of like, in a, in, yeah. when we were, I guess, living in a prehistoric sense, it was a way of us being trained in the night to be, to run away from monsters, to be wary of yeah. threat and stuff like that. Some people have theorised this fascination with true crime and everything is for that very thing, that we're almost trying to get an understanding of these people that exist, that yeah. walk amongst us, so we're prepared. That there's, there's, there's literally like a primal urge within us to try and understand this thing that is a threat to our very lives. Um, yeah, man. So, you know, I'm, just, In terms not, of... I'm not just trying to let myself off the hook for watching Dharma, <laughs> you know. But like... In terms of the, it feels like it'd be wrong to... Um have the fine wine war crime section and not say this is like a nice Chianti. Um, <laughs> so, uh, let, let's, uh, let's go on to just remember the rating. You can tell me what they are, are mate. They've got to be all in the, the eight pluses, surely. All right. IMDB, Silence of the Lambs. 8.6, Silence Beautiful. of the Lambs. Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tommies, we have. Wow, I've just ninety five percent, ninety five percent, ninety five and ninety five percent on both, audience wow. and critics. Fantastic and Metacritic. I mean, the thing is, right, mate. So let's have a look. It's Metacritic. Oh, come on, it's all the things. Do you want to accept the cookies? Yes, I've told you before. <laughs> Look at me, of course I'll accept the cookies. Yeah, me, uh, I, I'm, I'm the whale. I will be having the cookies. 86. 86 on Metascore. Yeah. That's a all tough crowd on Metascore. But they still got you still got the Metacritic got must, the must see, see badge. Got see the must approval. see badge. Um I mean for me, mate, it's it's one of my favourite movies. It's it's not a five popcorns out of five, it's a ten popcorns out of five for oh, me. Oh, like, it's a Michael Dublé. It's a it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of cinema from the performance, the writing, the directing, all of it. The the cinematography, it's a masterpiece. I think it's brilliant. It's you know, it's one to show in film school or whatever and have people kind of analyse it because it's oh, it's perfect yeah. perfect yeah it's it's one of the things actually when you look on when you look around the internet for kind of different various kind of opinions on this the vast vast majority of things that you find are like people giving their essays on why this film is so good um yeah f like five popcorns for me all the way um and speaking of masterpieces what is our masterpiece for next week so the masterpiece for next week mate and you know we've been we've been talking a few episodes now and i'm kind of I'm, i don't want to get ahead of myself i don't want to drop one of the like you know one of the really big ones that i've got in the in the back pocket too soon but it just feels right now it feels just about right to say oh you're buzzing me up now <laughs> next week's film is going to be 
Daniel Craig's first foray as James Bond, Casino Royale. Oh, mate. Oh, my God. What a shout. It's a good oh, one. It's a good one. I can't. I, there's a lot I want to get. Oh, oh, oh. You happy with that and, one? Oh, mate. Like, there's this. That's very good. Can we? <laughs> oh, yes. Are we allowed to talk? As part of, I assume we'll be able to get into the conversation more broadly about Bond just in general. Sure thing, yeah, but you know, oh. it's, 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 it's where it's going to go, isn't it? Oh, 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 sensational. What a pleasure. This is, I'm so excited to now spend, <laughs> spend this week focusing on, on Casino Royale. Amazing. I do want to hear your best uh, Chris Cornell impression next week as well, mate, for the, oh, for I the have theme it ready to go. One of the best Bond themes of, of all time as well. <laughs> Absolutely, on my it's on my playlist of big Bond themes that I listen to regularly. Um, uh, okay, right, that's this has been so much fun as ever. Um, we should remind people to get in touch, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, get in touch. You can, you can see all the socials will be on screen. Producer Purdy will 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 put them on in his in his magical way that he does. It looks beautiful. Does it look good as well? Everyone, come, give him some oh, love as amazing. well. The the the. The YouTube experience, if you are listening to this at the moment, you're not watching it, if you are listening, check out the YouTube at some point. It might not be your kind of desired way of kind of absorbing podcasts, but producer Purdy goes to sort of maximum effort of putting in all these kind of like film clips, contextualizing what it is that we're talking about. It's absolutely, the first time he showed it to us, I was like absolutely blown away. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you follow, you can see the socials on screen. Give us a follow there. Send us messages. Tell us why we're wrong or tell us why we're right about what we've been speaking about. Or um, just send us some love. And also, ratings, reviews, share the podcast, follow us on everything, subscribe, like. Yay! Bye-bye, 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 bye-bye.